All right, everybody. So welcome back to the Business and Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kay. And, and I'm your other host, Jen Conkey. Yeah, so I was born, right? Just kidding. No, I'm not going to go that far back. But anyways, in my childhood, I went through a lot as a kid. And, um, you know, I just, I never really fit in with those, the, the little girls that were in the dresses and they were playing dolls and stuff. I liked dolls, but I didn't want to put on a dress. And I always just really liked to do the boy stuff. And I grew up with three boy cousins in Sacramento for a long time and just really got into like football and baseball and all kinds of fun stuff. But even if I wasn't around those boy cousins, I have a feeling that I probably would have still been doing that. And then I ended up in Los Angeles and growing up around other cousins um, that like to play, you know, karate in the garage. So I would do that and we would play band and do all kinds of fun stuff. So I grew up just really being me. And the older that I got and the more that I got through grammar school, the more feedback I kept getting from either adults or, or other kids that were like, hey, when are you going to put on a dress? When are you going to do all these things that are girl related? And it just, it planted a seed in me really early that, man, it really sucked to be a girl because we didn't get to do anything that I thought was fun. So I spent the better part of my life trying to prove that I could be cool too, even as a girl doing boy stuff. And and really just, I, I struggled with it at first. And so when I got into corporate America, I was 19 and I left home very early at a very young age and just was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to do stuff and I'm going to make money because I was very money, money motivated, like hard. And so I ended up in this automotive industry with all these like predominantly male individuals who were old and well, they were actually, they're my age now. So. Oh damn, reality <laughs> check. But I mean, I was 19 at the time, right? And so right. when I got there, I just, one of the things that I've always done really well is I always became the subject matter expert on whatever the hell it was I was doing. So I came in, I learned how to do the job. I learned how to do it down to the keystroke level. And then I became a trainer. And before I knew it, I was 19 years old in a frontline supervisor position and telling people who were 45 years old how to do their job. And unfortunately, because of all of the things I learned as a child, I was telling, I wasn't selling, I wasn't trying to influence, I was telling and I was, I was over asserting myself to, to prove myself mm -hmm. that, you know, I could, I could do those things because boys were supposed to be strong and girls were supposed to be soft. But yet in the business world, it was very much, well, what are, what are you even trying to do? You're a girl, but I don't understand what's happening because you're really assertive and I don't know how you fit into this equation. But then I had all these really cool male mentors that were like, oh yeah, no, you're fine. Keep doing that. And I realized that I learned and I spoke and I thought with what they call the man brain. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but so there's the, the, the male brain and the girl brain or whatever, you know? So even back then I was like, God, why does everything have to be so gender specific? You know, why can't we just have a brain? What the hell? And so I struggled with that. And, you know, I get people trying to make small talk with me and I'm just, I'm not really into small talk. So I'd rather have a deep, meaningful conversation about life in general. So I literally struggled with it, you know, thinking that, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't want to do small talk. And anytime I went to a networking event, there would be all these women that would want to do small talk and talk about things. But I wanted to be over at the, the guys table that were talking about business and numbers and statistics and, you know, trends and data. Cause I was weird. And so I just, I really came into who I was when I was about 28 and it was because I was working at general mills at the time and I ran a cereal plant. It was a four story cereal plant and it was pretty rough there. 
And a lot of the guys that were there, they gave me a lot of advice and they said, you know, you think and you talk like this, like you, you relate to us really well. But um, one of the things that you need to do is like, you need to quit trying so hard to prove yourself. And I thought, well, okay, how? And they were like, well, you know, just, you know, don't, don't try so hard. And I didn't know what the hell that meant. And then I ended up going to Target and I got a couple of really good mentors that worked there. And I, I started my career just trying to uh, connect and understand other people. And what I realized is that I understood the other people. I just, you know, sometimes I just didn't care, which sounds really shitty, but it's so true. Sometimes I just didn't care about their little stories because it wasn't related to the business. So I had to learn the process of connecting with people and, and caring about what motivated them. Mm -hmm. And so as a very young leader from 19 to about 30, that was my struggle, was figuring out how do I connect to people and relate to them, find out what motivates them, and then figure out how to talk to them, especially when I don't really fit in. So that was really fun, and it was very um, challenging to overcome that, but one of the things that I learned throughout that process was how to influence differently. And I realized that there are some people who, they're visual, like I am, I'm a visual person. If, if I'm learning something, man, I got, you got to draw me a picture, a caricature. You got to draw my character in there and show me where I am in relation to all of this that's going on. And, you know, if you don't do that and you're just talking to me, it's like, I can't hear you. And, and, and I always should try harder, but I just, you know, I do try harder now. But back then I would just, I didn't understand what you said. What'd you say? Can you draw me a picture? And so whenever I would communicate to people, I would communicate to them in visual terms. And some people were like, I don't, I, yeah, I understand all that, but what about this, this, and this? And so I just went through trial and error of trying to figure out people's communication styles and how to relate to them. And it was, it was a very interesting time, right? So my, my greatest skill, you know, when you get into your first leadership position and you're like, okay, I got to go do goal X, goal Y, and goal Z, and I got to go do them now because we all know that we need to get paid for results. So the first thing I would do is I would get out there and I'd be like, all right, we're going to do this, this, and this. And I didn't really know how it was that I was able to motivate the team to do it. But I'd be like with all the pom-poms in my hand and get them connected to this is what's happening and this is why we need to do it. And then I would just innately know to go talk to them about their role in it and how they made a difference and connecting with them. And I realized that that happened through the process of my life, learning how to connect with people and I don't think I would have ever learned that about people had it not been so painful in the beginning. So now you fast forward to, you know, the end of my, my career in, in corporate America, which was about four years ago, I decided to leave because I was just so focused on business. And at the time, during that time, um, the twins were two. And so I was just trying to figure out going through this process. I was going through a divorce and I had sole custody at the time and but before that, I had been the only like the the only one that worked and provided for the family while my ex stayed at home and raised kids. So I didn't really know what the hell I was doing to raise kids. All I knew how to do was go to work and, and do X, Y and Z to run a corporation. But now all of a sudden I got to do both. And I was like, holy hell, how do people do this? You know, and I, I went through that process and they were so young that a whole new like paradigm shifted through me on. I, I came to grips with myself and where I went wrong in the process in that marriage of just not really truly being available. I was so business focused and so focused on my objectives that I kind of lost sight of, oh yeah, I have this other thing at home called a family and I need to make sure that I stay connected to that. And so now 
I'm in this process of trying to figure out how to balance both. And it was the toughest year of my life. I mean, I literally was, I thought I was going to lose it. And I realized that it meant more to me at that point in time. It meant more to me to have that connection with the kids. So I resigned. Like I, I had met Stacy at the time and she told me all about, you know, our, our real estate business and doing all this entrepreneur stuff with real estates and uh, like flipping stuff and cash flow properties. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. I've always wanted to do that. Let's do it. You know? And um, I must've been pretty batshit crazy. Cause I was just like, cool, I'm going to resign. And I just, I did it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I mean, we literally, we didn't even start flipping our first house until like, you know, two weeks later or something. It was just, it was nuts. It was nuts the way that I did it. But you know, similar to you when you were like, my body was just telling me this isn't it. Like I, that happened. The twins were just, they, they wanted me. I only saw them for like an hour and a half a day, Monday through Friday. And it felt like that still wasn't enough. Cause I would be at work and, and then I would have to leave in the morning and they had a nanny and I was spending like two grand a month on a nanny. It was crazy. So everything just kind of came to a screeching halt. And I, and I prioritized what was important. And I went through this life altering process of just identifying, I got to get happy. Like we only get one life and I've got to figure out how to make the most of it. So I started figuring out how to start my own business. And, you know, now when Stacy and I got together, when we finally moved in together, she had two kids from a previous marriage. So now I'm merging four kids into a blended family, which is a, a it's a difficult situation, you know, because they're young and they don't know how to use their words yet. And some of them actually only two of them knew how to go potty yet. So I had to teach a lot, right? I was one of those mompreneurs that you talk about yeah. that had been in corporate America with the big title and the big whatever. And all, you know, I was a big deal in my own mind when I really wasn't. So I literally adjusted to that. And I found, I found peace in terms of I can be at home and raise the kids. And I found like a new path on, on what it meant to me to be present in their life. So but at the same time, I was going a little crazy because I didn't have that outlet on the business side of at what I was accustomed to. So I just started figuring out ways to pepper that into the entrepreneur world. You know, everything that I learned in corporate, I started peppering that into what we were doing in our own business and everything with the kids. I just started, I started running my house like it was corporate America and got them on, you know, some job tasks, some standard operating work procedures. I mean, it was, it was borderline ridiculous, but now they do all that stuff on their own and I don't have to worry about it. So it's pretty cool, but they're four and I have them. Okay. So here's your checklist. Did you meet all of your objectives? You know, so I wanted to make sure that they had some structure or whatever. And now they walk around with their checklist and they'll tell you, okay, this is what I did. These are the extra jobs I want. And so I feel good. And there's some gratification in raising these people to be decent human beings and contributing members of society later so that they don't get entitled. And, but at the same time, so that's the fulfilling side of it. But when, when they hit six, it was probably December of last year when I realized, man, I just, I just, I really want to do more. Like they're getting older and they don't need me as much. And I really want to go back and do more. And by that point in time, I had become a professional poker player and started playing poker like all the time, Monday through Friday. And I was doing really well with that. That was cool. So I was doing poker and I was doing the, the real estate business. And then I started doing day trading. So now I had three businesses going, right? And juggling, by the way, still juggling all three of those. And then all of a sudden I was at this event and I heard somebody talking about girl power and it struck a nerve in me that was just like it triggered. You know when you get triggered? It, it triggered me to the point where I was like, why is this pissing me off so much? Mm -hmm. And I kind of went back and just thought about 
Why, why do why does she feel like she needs to even say girl power? Why? Why is that? And so I started talking to more and more people and kind of diving into my own thought process on it. And I realized that it bothered me because when I was a kid, I was constantly told, oh, you can't do that. That's not for girls. That's for boys. Or, oh, you, you can't, you can't play that. It's, it's for girls. It's not for boys. But yet I would be at school. I'm true story, by the way, fifth grade, I was playing kickball in a dress because my mom, Linda Conkey, shout out. She's one of the greatest humans on the planet. She was like, oh, honey, but you've got to, you've got to be so cute in this dress. And these are the shoes. And, and I love her to death. Right. I, and I respect it. And so I went to school in the dress and the shoes for a long, long time, but I still did boy shit. So I would jack the dresses up. I would play kickball and handball and I would get concussions and they would get calls from school. <laughs> and because, you know, who plays kickball and dress shoes? <laughs> and who gets a concussion when they fall, right? So, you know, I always just had these rules that came about and I would just go and, and try as hard as I could to adapt to it. But so anyways, I had this calling saying, yeah, everybody told me I, I couldn't do it because I was a girl but I just did it anyway. So to me, it was like, just do it anyway. You know, why does gender matter? And so Stacy and I had been talking this one evening and then that's when leadership was born and we created leadership coaching and consulting to help women in business, whether they're in corporate America for leadership or if they're starting their own new business as an entrepreneur. And we, we just encountered a lot of women that were in the real estate world saying, man, I, I just, I can't talk to the contractors, you know, because I'm a girl and they don't respect me. And it started to bug me. And I was like, why does, oh, why does gosh. your, that gender, literally just lit a fire inside of me. But why does it have to matter? And, and, and by the way, I think that you're the one projecting that mm -hmm. they say you're a girl. They're probably, they probably don't give a shit. And if they do, who cares? You still have this business you have to do. So go just do it. And as you learn within yourself, it, there were other people saying these things. Yes, but it was you who had to get comfortable with it and get right with it and be settled with who you are. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so I want to help all the women out there that are just caught up on the fact that, man, I'm a girl in this, in this man's world. It's like, no, man, it's a world. It's just a world. Mm -hmm. And so I got triggered with that. And then I just really started doing some soul searching on how can I help? How can I help this? And it, that's when it resonated with me. And I thought, you know, I went through my whole life trying to figure out how to still do what I wanted to do and not care what people thought. And I want to teach people how to do that. And I want to, I, I just wanted to narrow it down to how was it that I did it? And I, I went through my entire like life on a timeline and a piece of paper with a pen. And I identified that it was when I learned how to influence people and get into rapport with them and understand them better versus just trying to shove it down their face that yes, I am good enough. It doesn't matter. I am good enough. Um, I learned the power in winning your arguments through action versus words. So that's literally what, how it, how it transformed me and learning the different ways to influence people, whether, and based on their communication styles and their preferred communication, you know, representation system on how they communicate information. And then, like you said, stepping into their world, stepping into their model of the world or meeting them where they are. We say the same thing, but a little bit different. <laughs> For me, it's like I step into their model of the world. Like, how do they see things? How do they process it in their head? What are some key words that they say in their speech and in their body language that tells me, yeah, this is how they probably communicate. And here's how I can probably you know, tap in and influence them 
either, you know, for themselves or, or for myself, whatever the motive is. I don't know. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to help them, then I'm going to tap in and help them. But being able to identify how they communicate and then adjust my style to that is, is, it's key. And it doesn't matter if they're a man, a woman, a monkey, or a goat, how they talk and how they communicate is important in order for me to make a connection. So that's why we decided to start that business. And it's been really cool to try and help people with that. So we've had a couple of folks that they have um, this whole pay gap, you know, about the gender pay gap, right? Everybody's like, and okay, so let's just say there's a pay gap. Let's just, I agree with you. And they believe it. So it's a hundred percent real for them. It might not be a hundred percent real for me, but it's a hundred percent real for them. So, okay. So there's a pay gap. And how do you go and ask for a raise when you're ready? Or how does it look when you're being brought on and you're discussing salary? What does that process look like? And a lot of times they're going in, these women are going in and they're just like, you know, I have four kids and that's all, it's really hard to make ends meet. And, you know, I just, I, I have, I've just recently divorced, whatever the situation might be, they're communicated in, to a man in terms of emotion. And the guy is sitting across the table and all he's thinking is that, that's great. I have kids too. You know, he's, he's not listening. He, all he wants to hear is why should I give you a $10,000 a year raise? Or why should I give you this bonus? And they need to Talk communicate. To in terms of logic. Yeah. They need to know what's the value. Logically, what value do you bring to me that would quantify this? So trying to teach them that and then trying to just show them, you know, how, how men communicate they, they, some of them face some alpha males at work where, you know, they don't know how to get through to them and there's just this barrier. And so a lot of them have quit jobs and went to other jobs because they couldn't impact the process or they couldn't get past this one guy that was a barrier. And I've, I've been able to help people go have those conversations to first identify what is this preferred communication style? And then second, how do you go in and make a connection with him in a different way. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of instances, like three out of four will tell me that, well, he told me this feedback and you know, I just don't agree with it. And, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, why well, I do agree with it is there's probably some validity to it and you're taking it personal and you shouldn't. And anytime you get feedback, you should look at it. And is there a story there that, that has some, some justification to it? And how can I, how can I go about fixing it? Whatever that, that looks like. Um, but a lot of times they would get a little emotional and take it personal. So I'm trying to help them get through that process where you don't have to take it so personal. Just mm-hmm. sit back and reflect on the whole situation, where you are in it, your role, their role. How do they communicate? How do you communicate? Who has the most influence? How can you get that much influence? Like the whole chessboard, you know? Mm-hmm. So that to me is where the passion came from. It, it came from me back in a long time ago, being 19 years old, really young and in a male dominated culture. Um, and not really fitting in, not really fitting in with the girls, not really fitting with the, with the guys and just finding my own path and being okay with it. Mm -hmm. And just, um, instead of girl power, I've been trying to tell everybody, you should be about you power. Mm -hmm. And that has been helpful for them. So Jenna, it sounds like what you're describing is you figured out how to find your own confidence. Like you figured out how to be confident and secure in your message and, how you're showing up and what you wear and what you do, like all these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what role does confidence play in your business? Is that, I mean, would you say that the tools that you give to these women ultimately is giving them more confidence to show up in that space or assert themselves? Talk to me about that. 
Yes, that, that's a great question because it is absolutely necessary. A lot of the things that they go through stem from a lack of confidence. And so anybody who has done any kind of research on, on confidence and how to build self-esteem or build your confidence up, you know that the reason why they have that confidence issue is usually based on a fear or a fear of being incompetent in whatever it is that they're about to face. So one of the biggest things that I talk to with my clients is repetition. So be afraid to do it anyways, and let's practice real world practice with me right now. If you need to role play, let's role play. And as they see, oh, that tactic worked. Okay, cool. That just propels them again. Okay, so it worked that time. Let's go try it again. As they get more reps in, they gain more confidence because preparing and then executing and then seeing the result it makes them feel like, okay, yeah, that does work. Number one, I was a little skeptical, didn't know if I could execute it the way that you do, but I did it and it worked and holy, that felt great. Okay, cool. Let's find, let's find another situation where you have to do that. And confidence, it's everything. I want them to walk into a room and be able to just, yep, I'm here. Let's just focus on getting it done and being the best you know, version of myself and what I need to do with this particular individual or in this particular circumstance. So I make them practice. And when they practice, they gain confidence. Mm -hmm. When they don't prepare, they don't have confidence at all. And that's where they see the most fear. And so my whole, my whole MO with them is that when you don't prepare, that is when you are going to fail or feel like you're failing the most, but it's going to give you more feedback on what you need to do next time in order sure. to get prepared. So sure. there's some of them that can wing it, but you can still hear the shakiness in their voice that they're winging it. And okay, you, you still don't, you're still not coming across confident. Mm -hmm. So maybe practice is okay, but they feel a little bit goofy. Well, I don't want to practice, but I make them mm -hmm. because practice is everything. And, and role playing is a huge piece of that. So, yeah. yeah, I love what you said about fear because it's so true. Um, you know, Marian Williamson, she does a lot of teaching on the course in miracles and it talks about, there's only two real emotions, love or fear, and everything positive is love-based, right? So you think of peace and joy and happiness and contentment, all of that is really love. And we think about it, every negative emotion is fear-based. And it took me a while to kind of dissect this, but it really is. So, you know, if you think of jealousy, that's really fear of not being good enough, right? Or if you think of um disappointment. It's maybe like fear of not getting your way or, I mean, any negative emotion is always this fear, right? And like you're talking about these women fear of being judged or fear of rejection or fear of, you know, maybe being like put in a box, right? This, mm -hmm. this shit came and challenged me and now blah, blah, blah. I'm going to think this about her. So yeah, it's all fear-based. So what would you say is your number one tactic in helping your clients face their fears? When it comes down to conversations. My number one tactic is I try to get to the root of what the fear is. So love that. I take it down to people are usually, their fear is usually based on success. Ironically, a lot of people fear success and the reason why they fear success. So if they're fearing success, you can chunk it down to, okay, their fear of success, but, but why? Mm -hmm. And it usually comes down to criticism, judgment. What will people think? And I'm going to be so big, bigger than life that, you know, everybody's going to know and see. And what if I make a mistake? So it literally comes down to the fear of being judged, criticism, and it comes right down to not being good enough. So like you can just keep chunking it down. And then when it comes to fear of 
failure, it's the same thing. So it, you can chunk it right back down to, okay, so you're, you're afraid you're going to fail. Why does that matter? Well, what's everybody going to think? It's right back to what's everybody going to think. So I get them to understand, okay, so who, who are you afraid of judging you? Can I get it down to a specific group? Is it a gender? Is it just a specific demographic? What does that look like? And then I really, I will put them right back in that situation and I will tell them, okay, you're going to go do it with those people right now. So there was this one guy who I was, I was working with a gentleman and he was like not relating to his, to, to his team. And he was just like, yeah, well they have to, you know, they get paid. I don't need to motivate them. I was like, Oh my God, oh boy. I, I made him go out there. So he literally, he, when I got down to it, he was afraid of what younger people would think of him because mm -hmm. he didn't understand the new millennial things. Right. He didn't understand it. So it was a, the fear of the unknown mm -hmm. because he didn't understand it. And he was not because he, based on his age in his mind, everything was based on age. So if I'm old and I'm experienced, then all these young people should respect me because I'm old and I'm experienced, but they weren't in his mind. They were like, Oh, but they, they know all these fun things and they use their phones and they do all these social media things. And I don't have social media. I can't relate to them. And, and so my immediate thing was, okay, go create a Facebook account, go create an Instagram right now, get on Twitter and get out there and go talk to your people and get into their world. And so, so what you're fearing is that they won't respect you, but you're not doing anything to step into their model of the world and get a connection. Instead, you are, you're judging them before they judge you. So go do it. And so those are the types of things where, you know, I tell them there's like, I have a questionnaire before I will even sign, let you sign on to be a coach, a coach of yours. They will, they have to fill out this questionnaire and they have to agree to, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And it's going to be very uncomfortable, but if you don't do it, then I can't help you. Mm -hmm. And I don't want anybody out there thinking that I didn't help you. So you have to be willing to do it. And if you're willing to do it, then you're going to grow. If you're not willing to do it, then you're going to stay stagnant. But no matter what, I, I want you to succeed. So you got to go do this when you need to, you need to. So, and they need it. <laughs> they need it. <laughs> what you said is when you're uncomfortable, you grow, which is, I just want to like call that out because it's so true, but a little bit of discomfort, right? There's a difference in anxiety. What are the two words probably, right? There's, there's two different forms of fear. They're like anxiety and then like nervousness, but there's a difference where you're like, before we hit record on this podcast, right? Where I'm like, whoo, whoo, okay. Oh shit. Okay. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Okay. There's that. And then there's a, a legitimate fear, right? There's different, there's different energy around that. And so when you're growing, when you're uncomfortable, you're growing. So I just wanted to call that out. I want to go back to a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, where you shared that, you know, he had in his mind, these younger were not connecting with him or he were judging him and all of that. So that sounds like a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. So I just want to talk about that a little bit so you can share how you help people overcome limiting beliefs and how that serves them. Yeah. So he did. He had a limiting belief and I do, I try as hard as I can to get down to through open-ended questions or just really trying to connect with people. What is that limiting belief? So I had one he was one of them. And, and he, he, he thought that if I judge them first, they won't judge me. But I mean, everybody's going to be judging. Everybody has an opinion. It's their, it's their given right to have an opinion right. and like, just be okay with it. So I had a, a client that was contacting me about her. She was like, ah, oh, man, I'm stuck. 
and I can't figure out why, but I just, I've, I've lost all motivation to move forward in my business. And so I just, you know, I, I really, I don't know why. And so I started asking her some questions and she came from, she was adopted and she was in the foster care system. And so she had some siblings that were also in the foster care system. And as I started asking her questions about, well, trying to find out what her fear was, and we identified that she did have a fear of success. And so when I asked her the specific question of why do you fear being successful? And she said, well, you know, what are people going to think? And I said, what people specifically? And she said, I mean, you know, the people that are close to me. And I said, okay, so you're not afraid of what strangers are going to think. You're afraid of what people close to you are going to think of which people specifically. I just, just yeah. kept trying to chunk it down. And she said, you know, I'm really, you know, gosh, you know, I, it just hit me. And I said, what? She goes, it's my sister. Okay. Well, what about your sister? She's got a really horrible time going on in her life right now. And I feel like she doesn't have the things that I'm trying to strive for. And you know, I don't, I don't want to succeed and she's not. And, and what if she thinks, Oh, you don't even remember where you came from. And I was like, bam. Okay. So your limiting belief is that because you came from nothing, you can have nothing. It, would you agree? And she said, yeah, I, I would. And so, okay, how can you still go get what you want, need, and dream and hope and desire for and still possibly stay connected to your sister and not make her feel bad that she doesn't have those things? Or how can you lift her up along the way? Because I know that you can. So those are some of the things that I do. I, just, I try to identify it by asking questions and drilling down and really getting specific with them. So I try really hard to identify what the self-limiting belief is because I knew for myself that my self-limiting belief as a kid was that, okay, if I'm not a boy, I can't be successful. And so I had to figure that out and work through it throughout life, but I can help people identify it faster now and then put them on a plan where they can get through. My limiting belief, which took me a while to discover has been, I will not be supported. I will not get the support I need. And so it's interesting because I've obviously manifested that time after time after time, because I believe that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you talk about limiting beliefs, because the awareness around them is huge. And I think specifically for what you're talking about with your client, like obviously us playing small does not serve the world. Right. Yeah. But sometimes we think, think it will. And it's, it's also interesting that you said that, that people fear the people closest to them. Yeah. There are that's times because that's, that's where a lot of my like hesitation comes from is, Oh my gosh, I'm like showing this like real deal, holy field version of myself that I am cool with. And I've known who I am for all this time, but now, you know, I'm cracking open that nut for everyone to see. So I yeah. think it's definitely, and I think you and I have both done a ton of work in that space of being comfortable with who we are. And there's probably still some hesitation around it for you as well. So maybe around and around for me too. So I think maybe that could be something that we help people with is like some, some really tangible tools and tactics that they can put in their toolkit to navigate through that fear of judgment from those around them. Cause that's really real, right? If it's people around you, I mean, you're with them all the time. And so that's just like that monkey mind, like yeah. that judgment all the time. Yeah. So, well, they say that like the top, the five, the top five people you hang around with is who you start to think like. Mm -hmm. And so the people who are closest to you are of course, the ones that you're most worried about what they think. 70, about 75% of the people, their limiting belief is related to what their closest relatives, family, whatever are going to think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in your case, it was, are they going to support me on it? 
in. I had a little bit of that too. I know that in my mind, when I became an entrepreneur, Stacy kept saying, hey, did you tell your dad this? Did you tell your dad that? And I was like, no. And she was like, why? And I said, I already know what he's thinking. What? And I said, I'll tell you right now what he's thinking. He's thinking, you, done, you dizzy bitch. You have an MBA and you're quitting your job when you make all that money. What the hell's wrong with you? I raised you better. Right? And, and then I had to overcome that. And I had to like figure out, okay. And she challenged me. She said, when are you going to tell him? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know what my father said? He said, oh, that's really cool, sweetheart. I'm really proud of you. You know, it's a little bit challenging. So, you know, be careful of this, this, and this if you haven't already thought of it. And I was like, oh, that was kind of a not, a, not even a big deal. What the hell was I so scared of? It's funny, but it's true. That's what happens. Yeah. Jen, closing thoughts on big key lessons, takeaways from your business life and your bliss journey. What, what would you say would be your biggest closing I, thought there that you would share? My biggest lesson in life is to be present. Chase a dream, chase a goal, but you know, stay connected to the people around you that, that love you and are supporting you and stay connected and don't just get that tunnel vision and go for it too hard and like come back every once in a while. So, you know, I've integrated, you know, Stacy and I, we go on weekly dates so that we make sure we stay connected because both of us have that tendency to just go out and go for a goal. In business, I would say that my biggest lesson is don't bite off more than you can chew and make sure you have a plan because when you bite off more than you can chew and you haven't identified proper resources to to get you into the end zone, it can cause a lot of problems. And then that kind of just exacerbates, oh God, I got to fix it. I got to fix it. And then all that matters to you is behind you and you're not focused on that anymore. So it's the balance of make a plan that's a total leadership plan of business and personal life. Be present and have a plan. Meditation and mindset have been a huge piece for me. So that would be the third and every morning I wake up just like gets me in the mindset of visualizing what my day is going to look like and how that's going to go. And then I get up and I have a routine. I do the gym. I try and get all my energy out and focus. And then I go execute and I make sure that I'm present no matter where I am. And then actually taking time to plan has been huge because before it was kind of like fire ready aim. I would miss. And then I would spend all my time trying to track down why I missed and, and then try and reload and, and do it again. But I would lose the connection that I have with the people that were supporting me. So, um, big life lessons and, um, I am who I am now because of it. So I, I can't really say I have regrets, but that's what I'm going to continue to do going forward. And I would say two things. So number one, from personally working with you, you are one of the most methodical strategic planners I've ever met. So I think from, a coaching standpoint, you know, for those of you who are struggling, you're like, I don't know what the plan is. Or I, I mean, sometimes that for me, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what the plan is. And thank God that's where Jen balances me out. And she's like, girl, I got the plan. Just show up, do your makeup. We got this. So, but Jen is amazing and very methodical with her strategy and her planning. So, I mean, if that's something that you feel like, shit, I don't have a leadership plan for my business or for my team, or hey, I made a plan, but I'm not doing a great job of sticking to it. Those are all great things to reach out to Jen yeah. for. Thanks. And I love what you said about the mindfulness and the mindset piece. It's so huge. And, you know, along the lines of 21 days of self-love for those who are moms, some of these activities are designed that you literally might have to do them like while you're like on the pot in the morning for five minutes while you're yeah. the door's locked and your toddler isn't shoving like toys under the door. 
Okay. I mean, that's literally where we're at sometimes, but protecting that time for mindfulness is so important. I mean, literally my journal is on my jewelry box in my bathroom because I'm like, cool, I'm brushing my teeth. Let me do my journal because that's my life right now as you know, a baby's crawling around on the floor. So I think that's a really cool concept that we can share with you guys some tactics there around our favorite YouTube meditation. So I'm excited to share that. We can put that in the show notes and then also some mindfulness practices for different stages of life. 